It was a moment where I decided like, hey, I want to take control of my career and figure out my path in a way that I hadn't necessarily done before. That's Mari Shively, a product designer at Instagram. Mari has a background in fine arts before she transitioned into graphic design. When she first moved to New York, she took a bunch of odd jobs just to make ends meet. She eventually met Dennis Crowley and Naveen, who were working on an idea that would become Foursquare. Mari was super passionate about the idea and started by designing all the badges for the app. Once Foursquare raised money, Mari became their first designer. Over several years there, she helped push the product and shape the brand into the platform we're all familiar with today. Mari then became the creative director at Walker & Company Brands, tackling all aspects of physical product design for the fast-growing startup. Mari then took some time to consider her next steps as a designer and eventually joined Instagram. What Mari is talking about is what it was like for her to face some doubts about her skills as a designer and set a course for her career, all while being prepared to fail if it didn't work out. A theme we'll explore through Mari's experiences throughout this episode. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Viriano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. And today we're speaking with Mari Shibley, the product designer at Instagram. Before Mari joined Instagram, she was the first designer at Foursquare and then the creative director at Walker and Company Brands. Mari joins us to share her story, how she got into design and startups, what it was like working at Foursquare, what it was like tackling physical products as the creative director at Walker and Company Brands, what motivated her to join a bigger company like Instagram, her career advice and insights for other creatives, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Mari. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hi. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, Franco and I are extremely excited to have you on the show to learn more about yourself and your career as a designer. But before we get into what you're currently up to today, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? Sounds good. I am from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest and went to college in the Midwest. I went to an art and design college in Columbus, Ohio, called the Columbus College of Art and Design. And as a kid, I was really into art. I drew a lot and I thought that I would be an artist. So went to art school and at art school, they have this like foundational year where you learn basically just like the foundation of like art and design, making sure that you understand like contrast and color and balance and how to draw the human figure. And during that time, you're also supposed to, to figure out what you want to major in. So uh, it was sort of during that course of that time, I decided that fine arts, as much as I loved it, was maybe not the most practical career choice. Ended up majoring in advertising and graphic design. That's really cool. And so where did your passion for product design come from? Like, when did you transition from fine arts into more of that applied side? Yeah, I remember we had this class in high school, actually. I mean, this was like forever ago. I think we were using like Photoshop 6. This was way before, you know, Creative Suite was even a thing. But we had this class called Commercial Design. And basically, we would just like make stuff in Photoshop. And there was something about that that I found really interesting. And there was something that I struggled with with fine arts. And that was sort of like, what's the purpose? And I know that's sort of silly to say, because obviously, there's a there's a purpose of fine arts. It's been around for forever. Um, but for me personally, as someone who kind of has a sort of the right left brain, um, I think it was hard for me to spend a lot of time on something. And then sort of the result was kind of um, left to the 
it's in the eye of the beholder, so to speak. So I had a little bit of a problem with that, like the purpose behind fine art for myself specifically. So I think there was something about graphic design and like this commercial design that I had kind of played around with where we played around in Photoshop and made posters for school events. There's something that spoke to me about this idea of using art and this sort of skill that I had in order to communicate. And in that way, you're really trying to like solve a problem. Even back then, it's like if you're making a poster, you're still trying to solve some sort of problem, right? You're trying to like communicate to somebody uh, you know, what time and where it's at and make sure that all those things are clear. So there's something about that that really resonated with me. So this idea of being able to take this this skill that I had, but also make it into almost a a practical thing. So that's kind of where my desire for design happened and then kind of ended up in product design on like a a twisty path. I didn't actually assume that I was going to be doing that or think that I was going to be doing that. In fact, when I was studying, the iPhone didn't exist. So (laughs) you didn't imagine that I would be building mobile apps or designing mobile apps or anything like that. For sure. I'm a product designer myself. So you brought back some you know, early memories of Photoshop. I think I started off with Macromedia Director, but it's really cool to hear about your story and how you got into graphic design. And so pushing that a bit further, how did you start your career? What were some of your first jobs out of school? Yeah, totally. So growing up, I always wanted to move to New York. I think I just had this romantic view of New York. Also, I felt like I didn't quite fit in 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 Indiana. So I really wanted to move to a place where I felt like I would belong a little bit more. So a year after college, I got the nerve up to make that transition, but I didn't have any job lined up. I didn't really know anybody. I think I had $4,000 in my bank account. So even though I was one of the top students in my class, in my major, I still had like a ton of imposter syndrome. So I was like, well, I did pretty good in this little college in Ohio, but this is New York City. So I really didn't put myself out there too much because I didn't think that I was good enough. So I I applied for pretty low level jobs, internships, and I kind of took whatever I got. So my first job actually was an internship in the design studio of an advertising agency. And it was terrible. I made $30 a day, worked like 12 hour days. And the design studio, I don't know if you know, like the difference between like a design studio or like being an art director uh, in an agency, or at least back then. But the design studio was where like you basically mounted everybody's work (laughs) And like got it ready for presentations or did like mechanicals, like, you know, they would make ads for uh, uh, magazine ads. And so you'd have to do the mechanicals, like all the different, what are they called? Like the bleeds. But I basically was doing that. And like all the art directors and copywriters were like the same age as me. Uh, but I was just kind of hanging out in the back of the studio, like as an intern, making $30 a day, like waiting for people to, to finally get around to finishing their work so I could like mount it. Eventually they lost two really big clients. They lost Coke and Samsung. So they had to lay off like a bunch of people. So I ended up having to go find work elsewhere. And I worked for a month at GQ, which always sounds really glamorous when I tell people. But for me, it was not that glamorous. I felt a little bit like Anne Hathaway in The Devil Wears Prada, where I felt completely unfashionable and out of place in Condé Nast. I don't know if you've ever been in the Condé Nast cafeteria. It's like a spaceship. It's designed by Frank Gehry. It's beautiful. And I felt completely out of place. So it took me a little while to sort of figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing. Eventually, I ended up at a sort of a little studio that made websites, but they didn't really know how to make websites, which is sort of a strange thing. But it really allowed me to sort of like learn about UX design in a way that I had never learned through my schooling and my career up to that point. And even though that company was, you know, maybe not doing the best that they could have been doing or should have been doing, it was a really safe environment for me to learn. 
a little bit later, I learned about like wireframes and like user flows and UX. And I was like, whoa, this is actually way better to get those things approved first before we jump into the visual. So, you know, I think it was perhaps maybe, you know, maybe not the best design shop in the city, but I, it certainly gave me an opportunity to like learn in a very safe space where like I could figure things out and not get in trouble or not feel as though I was failing. I could just kind of each new project was learning new things. Yeah. What a great story. And so how did those early learning experiences really impact you? Was there something in there that pushed you towards tech startups? I guess so. Um, actually, that company did not do so well, and they also had to lay people off. So you can see there's a little bit of a theme here in my career. And I was kind of a free agent, so I put the word out to a lot of different friends. I was still doing a little work for that company on the side, sort of make ends meet. But I think it, I mean, it was a lot of just sort of like being in the right place at the right time or making myself available. And through that process of reaching out to friends, um, I had a couple of friends who worked at, or who I guess they were partners at Hard Candy Shell, which was a design and user experience studio in New York and they did really good work. So they reached out to me to do some consulting or freelance or whatever it's called. And then also through that process is how I got connected with Dennis Crowley on Foursquare. It was very early days for that. And that's because I had enough experience doing those things. I felt confident enough to kind of take it to the next level and, and do it at these new jobs. That's cool. And so you just highlighted chatting with Dennis and Foursquare in early 2010. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that all happened and how you created the opportunity to join the team there. So this was actually 2008, or at least the very end of 2008, early 2009, you know, before Foursquare had launched in South by Southwest. It was just an idea that he and Naveen had been hacking on. And for sort of her, the first iteration, he wanted badges designed. And I remember like being really unclear about like what these badges were for, what they represented. And he was like, they're secret. You don't know how to get them, but you'll get them when you do certain things around the city and you'll unlock different badges. And I was like, that's really confusing. Like, how do you know, like how to get the badge? And he's like, you just have to go out and explore and figure it out. So once I sort of understood the sort of point of these badges, uh, that was kind of the first thing that I worked on was the badges. And then as they got a little bit bigger, as they started to get closer to launch, helping out a little bit more with the app at the time, they were only on iOS. And then of course, back then, it's pretty limited what you could do on iOS. It was, I forget what OS version it was, but, um, you know, everything had to be native and the patterns were pretty well prescribed by the human interface guidelines. So there were some things that, you know, I could help out with icons and font colors and whatnot. But it's interesting because I don't really feel like I created the opportunity to begin with because it was something that was sort of presented to me. I didn't like seek it out. And in that sense, I was very lucky. But I did make sure that it was something that they understood that I, it was something I was really excited about. So really, they didn't have any money at first. So I ended up doing all the work for free, which is not anything that I would ever advise anyone to do. But it was something that I was just so passionate about and something that I just knew that I wanted to be involved with, that I was willing to do anything that I needed to do to sort of be a part of this thing. And just made it really clear, even though I had other jobs, I was working at Hard Candy Shell, made it really clear that like this was something that I wanted. And I think in the past, it wasn't that wasn't something that I normally had done. I just kind of took opportunities as they kind of came and went. But it was something that you could just feel at the time was very special. And I knew that it was something that I wanted to be a part of because, I mean, you could argue that perhaps maybe were there other designers that could have been better than me, of course. I think it was just a matter of like doing the work and showing that I cared and showing that like it was important to me and that I wanted to be a part of it. Once they were ready, I was ready. So once they actually got their first round of funding, they were able to hire a bunch of people, including their first designer, which was me. 
What a cool story. I remember those first few badges. So it's cool to know, you know, all these years later that that was you who created them. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing now to be sort of known as that person, because obviously I don't I don't love being known as like the badge, quote unquote, girl. I mean, there's a, you know, don't love being called a girl either. But like, it, it really does sort of minimize like all the contributions that I did there. But you know, the badges, people love them. So yeah, I can imagine. And so to not focus on the badges and, and take away from the rest of your contribution, let's dive into those. How did your role that you created for yourself evolve? What were some of the other impacts you your work had on shaping the brand and the product? So I did a lot of things, but it's like we have to really like take ourselves back to like 2009, 2010, 2011, because some of the things that we did back then seem very like table stakes now or like are very table stakes for any sort of social app or communication tool or anything. At the time, due to the constraints of just hardware and technology and like the, the operating systems and some of these things were like hard to do at the time. So I worked on, um, you know, the, the entire brand, the badges, iconography. I did, what did we do? Oh, we did like we launched photos and comments, which of course, now seems very sort of table stakes for any sort of app to allow you to send photos and, and make comments. But at the time, that was a really big launch for us. We did lists. Probably one of the biggest launches in the early days was the launch of our Explore tab, which was really the beginning of what Foursquare has evolved into becoming today, which is a pretty robust recommendation engine that utilizes social context and, and tips and gather sentiment from those tips to recommend you the best places. And then they've taken the check-in feature, which Foursquare was back in the day, out into another app. So yeah, basically anything that was done before the end of 2012, I probably had my hands in it. And we did one really big redesign right before I left. It was like the first of many big redesigns that Foursquare did. But it was really exciting at the time because it was their first foray into like doing all custom elements in iOS. Again, seems sort of silly now to say that, but at the time it was like pretty big for us to be like, whoa, we can make this tab bar look any way we want. We can put any color, any texture, doesn't have to be that sort of like iOS gradient, like like two color gradient top and bottom that they had. So that was pretty exciting. But of course, since then they've redesigned the app several times and even split them into two. They've redone the whole branding. They're a much different company now, but at the time it was super exciting to work on all that. Very cool. And so back then in 2010, how did you help communicate and explain the core concept of a check-in from a product or user experience point of view? What was that challenge like? I'm not going to lie. It was hard. <laughs> I remember explaining to people that you would check in and alert your friends of your location. And mind you, this was like an evolution of Dodgeball, which was the company that Dennis had created before where they use SMS. You get text and then it would shoot a text to all your friends where you were. And people thought it was really creepy. It was like, why would I want people to know where I'm at? And, you know, trying to communicate the value of that. And it's like, well, so that they can meet up with you. And it took a little bit because people were just like very protective of their privacy and like, why would I want that? But it was such an amazing thing, especially in New York City at the time, people were in their like 20s, early 30s to have this thing to allow you to just sort of serendipitously meet up with people. And we had all of these great sort of run-ins. You could just stop in. Oh, Sarah's at the bar. I'm like right by. I'm just going to say hi. So it was really hard to communicate that value. And I think that... I'm not sure that we were like as successful as we maybe wanted to be <laughs> about it, but like it, really, it was just really about word of mouth. You could be sitting at a bar with someone and explaining the feature and they would say, that's creepy. And the next thing you would know, three people would walk in that saw you check in and suddenly they would understand the value. 
like, oh, that's what it's about. Just made our night that much more interesting or exciting. Or now I get to connect with more people. And then actually we started adding all these other features too, which even made it harder to explain to people what Foursquare was. Cause it was like, you can check in, but then also earn badges and get specials and earn points and compete with your friends. And like, um, you can get like electric coupons. And like, it started to like be a little bit harder to, to explain sort of the, the core value prop of Foursquare, which one of the big reasons why they split them into two. Yeah, for sure. And something that just takes some time to communicate and for people to get comfortable with. Yeah, totally. I mean, you remember when Twitter first came out, like there's obviously like a bunch of really hardcore users, but like trying to tell your friend about it, it was like, hey, there's this thing called Twitter and you can like kind of give status updates about your life. And they're like, why would I want to do that? It's like, oh, you just like blast it out to all your friends and then they kind of know what you're up to. Like, hey, I'm eating. And they're like, why would I want to do that? And then Instagram came out and like the same thing. It was like, yeah, you can like, instead of saying you're eating, like on Twitter, you can show what you're eating and everyone would be like, why would I want to do that? So when, you know, new concepts and technology or like sort of ways of communicating come out, I think it's always takes a little bit for people to feel comfortable with that. I think Foursquare was a very good example of how the comfort level had to get there for a lot of people. Yeah, I completely agree. And so after a few years of doing the startup thing with Foursquare, you ended up joining Tristan Walker's startup, Walker and Company Brands, as the creative director. So what was that experience like joining a company that was in a completely different space? It was a little frightening. Uh, it was definitely something I'd never done before. I felt a little burnt out working at Foursquare after three years. It was one brand, and I spent a lot of time just kind of redesigning the same things over and over again. I just wanted something different. And so Tristan Walker is the CEO and founder of Walker & Company, which is the company I ended up at. And he and I were like friends at Foursquare, and I, I knew he was working on something. He went to... Um, Andreessen Horowitz is like an EIR. And, you know, you just kept in, keep in contact every now and then. He'd just ping me on Google Hangouts and be like, hey, what do you think about this idea? And we're like, it's, it's cool, I guess. And then another idea. What do you think about this idea? What do you think about this idea? And finally, he landed on this idea um, and he really sold me on it. They, they're a health and beauty company. They focus on underserved minorities or underserved communities, specifically around health and beauty. And so they're a mission-based company and really sold me on this mission and, and on that journey. And also, you know, since I was burned out on the product design, I could kind of do a lot of different things creatively and work on multiple brands. So that was exciting. But it was scary because like I never done that per se, but Tristan trusted me and I, you know, I really appreciate that because how was he know that I was going to be a good creative director? <laughs> Yeah, it sounds really exciting. And so just pushing that a bit further, what was it really like building physical products from the ground up? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is physical products in some ways are very similar. You have to think about the same ways that you have to think about with software. You have to think about user experience and how people are going to interact with something. But the difference is that software, anything breaks, you can just change a line of code or whatever. With physical products, it's much harder if you sort of make a make a mistake with any sort of user experience thing. And so it was a it was a much different way of thinking. Also, it's a much slower process to develop physical products than software. Definitely. And so as the creative director, what were some of the most exciting projects you had a chance to work on during your time there? And what was it like building a team? So the most exciting project that I worked on was the design development and launch of a electric trimmer. So one of their brands is called Bevel and they're focused on grooming products for men, specifically men of color. So men of color have, they over index on getting like razor bumps because they have curly facial hair, which I, by the way, I've talked about this so many times with people at cocktail parties where they're like, what do you do? And suddenly I start talking about razor bumps and it's like a very strange conversation, but um, yeah. And then they're like, it's like, it's like, I always am like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it. And they're like, oh, like what? No, they make razor 
Caesars. Like, why are they different than, like, say, Harry's or, like, Gillette? And then I have to go into this whole spiel about, like, curly hair, single blade versus double blade. But anyways, we made an electric trimmer because it's pretty good at avoiding razor bumps. And it was a pretty exciting project because I had never worked on hardware before. So not only this is a physical product, but it's also like a mechanical product, moving pieces. And we got Nas to be our spokesperson. You know, he has his iconic half moon part, which you use an electric trimmer to do. So it was a perfect match. So it was really exciting to be involved in everything from like watching the IDH and conception of this physical product with our industrial design company all the way to like prototyping it with 3D models like taking it to barber um, getting them to to play with it give feedback on everything from like the size to the balance to the weight and then I even got to go to China we had our manufacturing line in um, Shenzhen and I got to go there and see the production line which is really exciting I worked on the package design so that was a really fun experience I'd never done that before you know similar to what I was saying about product design you have to think about user experience just different you have to think about what someone's going to see on the shelf like how far they have to be to think about how they open it is there too much suction does the trimmer fall out to think about the order in which they see things like the instructions and the cord and then also like i said nas was our spokesperson or like he was endorsing it so he did this like amazing video shoot with him so i got to work with a production company to produce this video got to be on set in la so that was really exciting it's like a bunch of things that i had never done before that's really cool to hear your thoughts and how your design career has spanned over both the digital and physical worlds. And so today, you're back on the digital side as a product designer at Instagram. Can you start off by telling us a little bit more about how you created the opportunity to join the team there? So I had spent another three years at Walker & Co. And I knew that it was time for me to move on. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what it was that I wanted. I've done a lot of things in my career. A lot of them have sort of just come about, sort of came to me. And I just made the decision, yes or no. I didn't really seek a lot of them out. So I was kind of at this crossroads in my career where I was like, all right, I've done a lot of things. Um, I'm getting a little bit older. I really need to figure out like what the next thing I want to be doing for the next five years is because I, I don't want to make the wrong move and be stuck or spend another like spend a year trying to figure it out and sort of in back at square one. So I did a ton of soul searching and just figuring out like, what is it that I really like? What is it that like drives me? What kind of things do I want to be working at? Like, what are the things that I value? What are the things I want to get on a personal level? What kind of things do I think I like missed out on in my career? Things I still want to learn. And I came to the conclusion that I missed product design. So even though I was a little burnt out, I really missed it. That I wanted to work on something that I felt passionate about, something that I could, was either a passionate user of or something that like, you know, I really cared about the, the industry or the cause or whatever. Also that I wanted to work with really smart people, learn processes on a larger organization. And I say that because when you start small and you start a, a startup, a lot of times there's not, there's not like set processes. And so a lot of times you're kind of figuring it out as you go. And in some ways that's really great because it allows you to try new things and just figure things out. But on the other hand, it feels like you're always sort of trying to figure things out, always changing. And also oftentimes I'm the first designer. And so like, I don't always have a lot of sort of other design colleagues to learn from. Even at Walker, I was the design manager or the boss or whatever. So like um, I was was constantly, I felt like I was teaching and, and not to say that I didn't learn things from being a manager or learn, learn things. I just didn't have a lot of sort of colleagues kind of at my same level that I was learning from in regards to design. So it was really important for me to be surrounded by other really great designers and also just to learn like processes of less like, you know, how things are made. Like what's, what are some processes that like big companies have? So I kind of, after all of that soul searching, realized that like I'd need to be at a big company. That was something I missed out on my career. And so the first time in like 10 years, I put together a resume and a 
portfolio site. And I reached out to these bigger companies and wasn't sure it was going to happen, but I was okay with failing, which I think I maybe wasn't in the past and uh, ended up at Instagram, which I'm really excited about. That's really interesting. I completely understand where you're coming from, wanting to work with small teams, as well as absorbing processes and mentorship from bigger companies. So it's really cool to see how your career has progressed towards that and joining all the talented designers at Instagram. So diving into that a bit more, what has been some of the projects you've had the chance to work on over the years at Instagram? So I work on the creation and communication team on Instagram. So that's anything that involves sharing on Instagram. So if you think about like feed sharing, profile curation, stories, live, direct messaging, that is the creation and communication team. And I work on that team and specifically my product team is live. So the way that we're allocated, you're allocated to a product team. So it's not like you get to work on live and then you go work on growth and monetization. It's it's you really focus and get to go deep um, on one product area. So I've been on live since I started. And uh, when I started, they had... They were just getting ready to launch. I didn't even know they were working on it when I like accepted the offer. So it was like a really big surprise. And then uh, they launched, I think, to a few countries right after I started. And then about a year ago, they launched to the rest of the world. And so what I've worked on since starting is a lot of growth projects, trying to grow or MVP. I've worked on the ability to share your live video to the story stray for 24 hours. And I've worked on the ability to co-broadcast with a friend and a lot of other little things. But, you know, it's all very focused on live video. That sounds really exciting. And it's cool to hear about the work you're doing at Instagram. So on that note, you've obviously had a bunch of amazing moments throughout your career. But what have been some of the most impactful or pivotal moments for you? I think the most pivotal moment was the moment that I I spoke about a little bit of like how I sort of created this opportunity at Instagram. It was a moment where I decided like, hey, I want to take control of my career and figure out my path in a way that I hadn't necessarily done before. In many times before, I just took whatever opportunity had sort of like been presented to me. You know, I was lucky that some of those opportunities were as amazing as Foursquare. And I think Foursquare is another pivotal thing that happened to me because it sort of set me on the path that I ended up on. But I think for too long, I... I let things sort of come to me instead of really figuring out what it was that I wanted and what I needed. And so I think the the best thing that ever happened to me in my career is actually just this thing that happened recently. And that it was me taking a step back and really figuring out like, what is it that I want? Like, what are the skills that I still need to learn? Like, what will make me feel good as a designer and as a human? I just had never done that before. I think in previous times I had just been like, well, there's this job or there's this job. And they both like came to me and like, which one is the lesser of two evils? Like which one is better? And I made decisions like that. And so I think just taking the time to really figure out like what it was that I, that I wanted and like taking the time to like make sure I was really prepared to go after it and just being okay for it didn't work out was like huge for me. And I say that only because I, I was never like that before. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of folks in the tech industry experience very similar moments of doubt or feeling like they aren't the best. But it's very inspiring to hear, you know, your story about being able to take a step back and figure out what you really want to do, because it's hard. It's really hard to do. Totally. I mean, I spent like, I spent a long time just like, like gathering my work and like really just making sure I was like, I felt I was in the right headspace. I had all the things. And it's, it's a strange process to be in, I think, in your head when you sit and you wonder, am I good enough? Did I make mistakes at all? Should I, should I have done this thing? Should I have done this thing instead? And I think part of it is just like where I was in my career. I, I didn't want to be a manager anymore and just trying to figure out like what I wanted to do. And I think it's, it's hard to sit and wonder like, am I good enough? Did I make mistakes? Is this the best path for me? Like, where am I right now? And 
it's tough, but like, I don't know, it was really good for me. I talk to a lot of designers and I always say like, why don't you apply to Facebook or Google or why don't you apply to these places? And overwhelmingly the response is, well, I don't think I'm good enough or like, I just need a few more years or, you know, if I just work a little bit more at this job that I hate, I think that I can, I can just get the skills that I need. And it's like, well, okay, that's, that's fine. I support whatever it is that you feel like you need to do, but like you are good enough. And if you think that there's things that like you need help with, like I'm happy to help you with those things and you should prepare for these interviews. They are quite rigorous, but like, I think too often people People just think they're not good enough. And so they just sort of like do things that they think that they're good enough for. And, and I just think people oftentimes just don't like test themselves because everyone just has imposter syndrome all the time. Yeah, I completely agree. And so to fight that imposter syndrome and to help others figure out exactly how they can take a step back to figure it all out, are there any resources that you found along your own journey that you would recommend to others, design specific or otherwise? Um, on this specific journey, there was actually Google Ventures has some great resources, I think, about interviewing that I found really useful. I think they have like medium posts or something about like how to how to create a successful product design portfolio. And I know that sounds silly, but like my portfolio, even like the first stab that I took at it was like a little bit visual heavy. And I didn't go into like enough detail about the process and like the different iterations that I tried. It was kind of just showing the final results and kind of talking about it. So yeah, Google Ventures actually had a couple really great resources that I found helpful in my journey. Julie Zhao, I believe that's how you say her last name. She's one of the design leads at Facebook. She writes amazing articles about design, which I'm sure you've probably featured before. Other than that, I have to be honest, like I don't dip too much into the design resource stuff anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Julie's blog has been mentioned a few times, but it's only getting better. So we're more than happy to link to it for anyone who's listening and wants to check it out. So we've talked about a bunch of different things over the course of the episode. Do you have any final thoughts or words of advice to leave us with? My only words of advice are that we're hiring at Instagram and people should not have imposter syndrome. So please let me know if you're interested. (laughs) That's awesome. Absolutely. You just got to go for it. Mari, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. We had a really awesome time chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at hack to start or drop us an email, pay at hack to start.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding hack to start on Apple podcasts, breaker audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.